Hey friends, what's going on? Welcome to the Ask a Hustle. I am Corey Allen. You are you, and here we are. Here we are, no matter what happens. Here we are, right now, in this moment. I'm very grateful and glad to be speaking with you today. I've got an awesome, awesome podcast for you today. My guest is the great Kevin Kelly. He really needs no introduction, but Kevin is one of the co-founders of Wired Magazine, a New York Times best-selling author, and an incredible photographer. He's got a new book out called Vanishing Asia, which covers his 40 years traveling through Asia in a thousand pages with over 9,000 photographs. The pictures are truly otherworldly and unreal, and we have a great time talking about his travel through all these rural areas, capturing this slice of otherness. My friends, I'm very happy to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Cuts. Gentlemen, your wardrobe needs to be versatile, blending timeless style and comfort so that you look as good as you feel, and that is Cuts Clothing. They've taken a classic men's fashion staple, the plain tee, and redefined it, combining premium quality with minimalistic aesthetic. Now that is what I'm all about, is classic looks, minimalist style, and good quality. That's really where it's at. The first time I threw on their polo, I was so blown away of how comfortable and how well it fit. It's really, it might be the best fitting shirt I've ever put on. It really felt like it was tailored just for me and uh, the quality and feel of it was amazing. I can't recommend that polo enough. Cuts is not just a lifestyle, not just clothing. It is office leisure apparel for the sport of business. Get 15% off with your first order by going to cutsclothing.com slash astral. That's cutsclothing.com dot com slash astral for 15 percent off the only shirt worth wearing my friends i'm also happy to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by better help that's better help h-e-l-p if there's something interfering with your happiness preventing you from achieving your goals or feeling well in the way that you'd like better help can help connect you to your own licensed professional therapist you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours It is not a crisis line or a self-help line, but professional counseling done securely online. No matter if you have anxiety, depression, feelings of loneliness, or trying to integrate the rough year that all of us had, there are therapists available that you can speak with via video or phone sessions so you don't even have to leave the privacy of your own home. You can check out some reviews at betterhelp.com to see what other people are saying about their experiences. And if you go to betterhelp.com slash astral, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, you can join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash astral. All right, my friends, the time is now. Let's go do it. Let's go talk to the wonderful, well-traveled, and wise Kevin Kelly. I was looking over this new book, Vanishing Asia, and I remember whenever we talked, maybe, who knows, a year or two ago, you're, you'd mentioned it to me then, and uh, I've been an, uh, anticipating and, and hoping to see it come to light one day, and so mm-hmm. um Whenever I saw that it was almost here, I was really excited. Yes, but, yes. Man, I was just flipping through the the preview that Claudia sent over, and my if I had hair, it would have been blown off of my head. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's a thousand and thirty more pages like that. <laughs> I know, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. This was the first time I think I was sitting here, and I mean, I, I looked at the thing, the the collection she yeah. sent over last night, but I was sitting here looking at it right before we got on here, and I kept thinking. Don't forget what time it is. Don't forget what time <laughs> right, it is. Right. Pay attention to the clock because <laughs> it's just so, it is so immersive and it really just pulls you right to those places. And really not just the places, but the moments. To uh, introduce the, uh, the the thing, the Vanishing Asia. So what Vanishing Asia is, is a very large book that is so big, it grew so big, it had 1,080 pages, that I just couldn't even fit it on my lap to open it, so I divided it into three volumes. We are still big, oversized, giant books, but there's three of them, and it is the result of my 40 years of photographing remote and disappearing traditions in uh, Asia, and Asia is between Turkey, the Mideast, and, and Japan, and everything in between, so it's a big area. And I've spent um, a lot of my adult life 
recording things that are that I think are beautiful and uh, unique and um, spectacular and appropriate um, yet are disappearing and they're they're disappearing because everybody's becoming modern and I have no problem with that I understand why I do the same but I'm captured this because I think they're valuable and different and difference is what drives the engine of innovation and creativity and that, that these antique things are actually hints for the future. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you mentioned that whenever you first went to Asia in 1972, you're 20 years old and you mentioned you were, you were reeducated whenever you got there. I think it was Taiwan that you went to mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever you say reeducated, what do you mean by that? Um, it's very hard to convey the isolated parochial closed uh, nature of life in suburban America in 1950s and 60s. Um, you know, I, 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 we didn't have Chinese people around. I, I, I never held chopsticks. I'd never eaten Chinese food in my life. I'd even only eaten in a restaurant three times before I graduated from high school. You, you know, it was, it was a very small place. There was no information anywhere. There was no contact with diversity in any stretch of the imagination. And this isn't a place that's within uh, a commuting distance of New York City. Mm. Imagine was like, you know, if you were in Ohio or Nebraska, it was just a very different place. And so when I left, I had no idea what I was headed to. to. I mean, you know, I, I had been educated and had taken, I was a science nerd and loved art and had taken a lot of, uh, you know, classes, but I didn't really have any idea what was going on in the world. And when I went to Asia, it was like, you know, the, the Asia lives, they live inside out in a certain sense that they're kind of like on the street or they work on the street. They're half live on the street. Everything was visible and open. And it wasn't just the fact that things were different. It was that things were visible and transparent in that certain sense. And, and the sense of privacy was very different and it was very close. So, so you can kind of, I could go anywhere. I, I mean, I could literally walk into people's homes and they wouldn't, they would say, Oh, well, you know, what, what, <laughs> what brings you here? And so, um, uh, and I did many times and, 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 and that, that sense of like, Oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm now being educated, um, and not just in the sense that you know. At the end of it, I awarded myself an honorary PhD in Asian studies, but it was educated in the sense of understanding how things work. And even um, when I was, while I'm photographing the disappearing past, Asia is becoming the future. So those very same cities. I mean, <laughs> I would see with my own eyes a area that was a rice paddy fields and come back and there would be like a modern more modern than my, my hometown city in its in its place that was that was something i witnessed i saw wow. and so it wasn't just that they were kind of like catching up no they were going further and so that sense of mm, of having my mind changed was what I meant by being re-educated. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful description. I, I think that um, the first thing I noticed whenever I, I went to Japan, I don't know, probably 15 years ago or something at this point, and you mentioning uh, being able to just kind of have the freedom of walking around in somebody's house or walking into someone's house <laughs> or something like that, and how really, uh, you know, individualism or the focus on individualism yeah. and the value of it is such a Western quality to right, my understanding. Right, right. right. 
Um, it's almost like we become marketers of our own identity structures. You know? right, 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 right. <laughs> and uh, in, in the East, it doesn't seem to be the case. Hence, you know, I think the greater connection to an older style of community living and yeah. then hence that openness, because there's no need for this weird, sketchy privacy because you're not creating this fake veneer of identity to live out in public with. So the the fear is gone. And that was... I noticed that kind of in mass, you know, getting off of, uh, you know, the, the train from Narita going into Tokyo, I noticed there are so many people in the, I think it was the Shinjuku uh, station. Yeah. It, it was just, it looked like the heads, it was like cobblestones, you know, there's so many heads, you know, everyone smashed together, but that urban anxiety was missing. And I was like, wait, shouldn't everyone be really feeling edgy right now and like mm-hmm. anxious and weird? And it just wasn't there. And and you mentioning, uh, you know, that, that vibe of being able to kind of walk into someone's house really brought me back to that, that just that key difference. Yes. I mean, I think one of the cultural axes that are um, different in the West and the East is that the East, uh, the, the West has this kind of more of a mythological sense of self-reliance of the individual the, 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 you know, being paramount, the whole kind of libertarian, uh, I am a free man, and, you know, um, and, and, and then the kind of the Western icon of the self-reliance person who makes everything and survives on their own, even without neighbors. The, all that is a myth, but that is sort of a kind of an ideal that um, people have in their head. And it does shape our culture to some extent where we're far more individualistic than some Asian cultures, which are far more community-minded, social-minded, group-minded, Japan being kind of almost at one extreme of the paramount of the group and fitting in and the nail sticking up, being hammered down. Um, But that's true for a lot of Asia where... um, the rights and responsibilities and the benefits of the group are um, not subservient, but are actually may even be paramount. And so um, that was part of my education was seeing how that worked and feeling the benefits and seeing the price at the same time. Um, uh, There's always a cost, but, but but being aware of of that and that that alternative, the fact that there is a different way of doing things, and um, there are aspects of it that we in the West and particularly we in America can learn from that. Um, and I think you know it's, it's an ongoing conversation. We'll never be done. We'll always have um, trade offs, but. Um, I think these are the kind of lessons that maybe can be captured in a still image um, where you can see what what happens when people are honoring those kinds of communities and those kinds of family structures and that kind of uh, different sense of privacy. You make your homes differently. I, I, I had incredible experiences that kind of point to that there was there was uh, i had the privilege of being in mongolia where um there are still um, millions of active nomads and most other countries in the world and particularly china they have shut down nomads as like trying to get them off of being nomads and into permanent settlements but the mongolians have taken a different attitude where they have um are trying to actually support their nomads um with schools, like so, they so they the kids travel to boarding schools. Almost every kid in the country side is in a boarding school during the weeks, uh, and they go back to their tent, their nomad. Um, on some bases, sometimes weekly, sometimes biweekly, but they're they're and rather than trying to get the, them out of the nomad life. But my point about the nomads is that you can walk into up to any yurt, any gur, any yurt, and just walk in the front door Mm -hmm. because that is what they all do. Um, They're so rare, and that's sort of like a – considered kind of like a semi-public space. And they always have, you know, little treats set up for when people walk in. 
um, it's kind of like a courtyard. It's kind of like if you were to go into another place, you'd go into the courtyard first before you'd go behind the door. Well, their courtyard is inside the tent. And um, so they expect, you know, their, 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 their space is shared. It's being interrupted, being hosting whoever comes by, whatever stranger, that's part of the culture. That's part of what they do, part of what they're proud of. And so um, th th that is a, a big thing that I try to capture in these images um, that I think we can learn from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going to 35 different countries, which blows me away. And also, you know, that you've been working on this for 40 years, as you say, I'm 39. So, you know, it gives you some, <laughs> I started friend. right before you were born. <laughs> yeah, a little interesting frame of reference uh, for me, uh, looking at it in that way. Um, but going to these 35 countries, I mean, you know, as you've mentioned, uh, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, uh, and, and so on and so on. You know, I think one of the most valuable things that will enrich any human being's life is having an understanding of their own subjective view of you know, reality, of course, but also themselves and the world. Now, nothing crushes that in the way, in the patterns and in habitual ingrained ways that we think about our lives, like going to another country, particularly one, you know, I, people get frustrated with long flights, but I always ex am excited by them because I think the longer you're spending on a plane, <laughs> the further away you're getting from what you know. So it's like, yeah, hey, what's the longest flight I can take? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so so what are, you know, these some key or just things that come to your memory uh, awakening moments you had where it just showed you that your perception of the way you thought things were was completely subjective and through experiencing that it changed the way that you continue to live and think about life moving forward well that's a big question that's a really great no one's asked me that before and so let me think about it for a second um yeah um kind of epiphanal moment where um you realized you're not in kansas anymore um, <laughs> right. i remember a beautiful moment I, I i'm not sure i could say that it kind of like changed my my mind but it was definitely a a moment and um it was in india where a lot of these moments happen. I tell anybody, if you're stuck in your life, just go to India. It's like a whack on the side of the head with a two by four. It'll just, <laughs> you'll get unstuck. No matter what it is, you'll get unstuck because it's going to, it's disturbing in that sense, hmm. in a good sense. And um, I was in India at, along the Ganges, which is a not uncommon thing for people to visit. And it's well worth uh undergoing the the experience um but it was um some kind of celebration and it was coincided with um a lunar uh a lunar eclipse and um so i'm sitting on the bathing gods which are kind of like these steps that come up from the ganges and there's thousands and tens of thousands of people pilgrims lining the um the river and they're all going to go in dip in to the bathing at the same moment at the same auspicious moment timed by something happening with a lunar eclipse and um what happened was just before this happened it was like total silence there was just like this entire it was like the the earth was still and silent with thousands and tens of thousands all on the river waiting and then the moment that the, that they went in, it was like this um, inhalation. It was it was like a it was this is it was like the river or the thing was breathing. It was just so weird and magical, and that it was like I don't know what it means, but man, that was uh, an experience. And I think part of what you get with travel is you have ideas and things and you've read about them, but you have the experience, which is working on a different level and reaching a much deeper part of yourself. Um, and that's one of the 
thousands of reasons why you should go and leave your routines and go and break those routines with something that is different because um, it can that experience will as you just saw will never leave you and will un, often unlodge and dislodge other notions and other ideas over time and for me some of these things um, these kinds of experiences in India where they have thousands of people was my first encounter we have some of them in stadiums but um, like I went to the Kumela where there were 17 million people and I just went a couple of years ago where there was 30 million people on one area and it was pre-Burning Man this was all thing, it, was, it was basically what Burning Man kind of reinvented was mm. the this thing of let's have everybody come and together and they'll make the art and they'll have this instant city and because it's a instant city that is taken down we can experiment with urban dynamics and um it'll be this jointly consensually constructed performance piece um where everybody's entertaining each other which is what happens at the Kumela. There's all these camps set up. And so anyway, that was an early precursor for this idea of a mass gathering that actually works, um, that it's not to serve chaotic. There's, there's some synchrony. There's some beauty in it happening together. And um, it was like, yeah, that's what Burning Man's like. That's what Burning Man became. That's that Burning Man is another version of that mm-hmm. and we'll have other versions of that in the future. And so for me, part of the reason why I made this book, Vanishing Asia, is to conserve and preserve and transmit some of these patterns for others. And even though they're old and going away and vanishing and there are reasons why they are vanishing, good reasons sometimes, that even though they're old, that in their antiqueness, that there's some hint of the future, that 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 they are kind of meme banks, treasure chests of interesting solutions to the, the dilemmas of human existence, and that they can be um, repurposed and 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 and, and, and at the very least inspiration and. Um, suggestions and possibilities for things in the future that we're going to return to them that we can go back to how they were making costumes of old and and how the architecture of urban pedestrian walking might have a place in the future when we want to make a city again uh, totally pedestrian Mm -hmm. so those are the kinds of things that i think come from this book as well as just the beauty of them that's a really beautiful concept because, you know, even with yourself, like it's so, as you change and grow as a person, just the act of continuously remembering, 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 even just something as simple as being present and actually enjoying the gift of what the abundance of what's around you, as opposed to getting lost in some, you know, uh, this momentum of worry or distraction or something like that. And just remembering, oh, right, bring it back in a pre- and just let's sink into the deep now. And, mm-hmm. you know, in looking at that in a cultural way is really fascinating too, to recognize that these old patterns and old ways of existence are kind of um, being evolved out of and hatching into something else, but yet having this archive to, as you know, we move into the future, remember and remember like, okay, why were things this way and how were they? And how can we kind of just keep that original mind intact and use it as a, a form of wisdom to move into the future. It's such a beautiful, beautiful idea. Now, you going into one of the things that really fascinates me about this is that you didn't just hit the the major cities. You really, you know, looking at your travel map, you really hit some rural, extremely looking rural areas. Um, one, just as a, a side note, I'm curious about the logistics of that, and then two. How were you, and, and I, I get that it's a huge scope of experience, but in general, uh, how were you received going to mm. those places? Yeah, let me uh, try to answer the first one because this may be a little easier. Um, by and large, um, I was always welcomed. Um, and I, and I, there was probably some self-selectivity here in the sense that areas where I wasn't as welcome, I probably didn't stay as long and 
probably stayed longer in places where I was very welcomed. But but overall, um, I was welcomed. I, I, I never tried to um, disguise myself like some people do in terms of adopting local dress and whatnot. I always... I didn't. I wasn't flamboyant. I was kind of low keyed, but I sort of decided that I was going to wear the uniform of my tribe, which was you know, <laughs> blue jeans and a and a shirt and um, long pants. I, I you know, uh, so I wasn't in the Indian hippie thing of trying to mm-hmm. uh, the sarong, you know, the sarongs and sandals and stuff. So. Um, I was identifiable. The people knew that I was unmistakable, a stranger and maybe a tourist in some sense, because I had a camera, but, um, um, very rarely was there any kind of antagonism, a couple of places just because they were having a bad time. But, um, people were generally welcome and I, I would smile as much as I could. And, um, you know, the ideal way to kind of do the photography that I was doing is that you become embedded. You hang around for a day or two in the same spot, uh, say, or even with a family or something. And within a day or so, they have forgotten your camera. Mm. Uh, and you can, they're just invisible. I did not do that. I was moving too fast. Um and so my my approach to photography was much more of the ninja, where I could photograph someone before they were even aware of it. And that was important to me in the sense that I did not want to disturb. I did not, did not in any way want to disrupt or disturb or pose or arrange. I wanted to kind of really be invisible if I could. And I wasn't invisible, so I could be quick and instant and invisible in the sense of not impeding what was mm-hmm. happening um but the um uh you know i found little things like pictures of my family um at the time i was traveling i met family like brothers and sisters and mother and father were incredibly potent icebreakers um people just love that that was just endlessly fascinating to them um a picture of my family in our living room it was like oh my gosh uh that's all it's all you needed to kind of make friends hmm. um but in, in general um the world is much friendlier even war-torn areas are safe in more than you think and i would say i never very only two instances were actually feared for personal safety um I could at any moment be pickpocketed or have stuff stolen out of my backpack, although that was very, very rare. But personal safety was never a question. It was just, uh, particularly in, in the places I was going, it was just simply unthinkable in, in you know, places like Japan and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, um, uh, I, I, I think... Um, dangers were entirely overrated and i would say pretty categorically that i was safer in all the countries i was than in any day i would be in new york city Mm -hmm. yeah that is a hard thing for people to understand because like as you sort of talked about at the beginning there's this myth of american exceptionalism and you know just all of the the things that go around that, you know, the safety, yeah. the healthcare, which, you know, obviously this last year, a lot of that has been brought out <laughs> to the open where people have seen yeah. the the reality of some of our, our structures. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, it, it's one of the he- parts of the head trip of it is like remembering that as exotic as everything, you know, you're experiencing to you, you are as exotic to, to them. You yes. know? So showing them a picture of your yeah, living yes, room, yes. they're like far out, man. That's crazy. Yeah. You got a that's, le- that's, leather That's couch. actually a great point that I don't really, that, yeah, you made a fantastic point is that I, I, I am the exotic person, not them. I mean, I, 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 I there's, there's a little um, constant refrain that I had in the um, Central Asian countries. Um, Kazakhstan or Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, um, places like that, um, which we call Central Asia, um, 
which are you know very the landlocked they're very very far from the ocean but um it, you know there was the movie borat made they picked on Kazakhstan because it was like the most remote country that they could imagine. It's when we say Kazakhstan, you think of like, you know, that is really remote, but everybody there to them, it's central. It's central Asia. They're central. They've been there forever. It's like, we're not remote. You're the remote one (laughs) across the ocean. We're at the center of everything. Everybody has come through here. Um, We're not exotic. We're in fact, they aren't They're You know, like the, the Uzbekis are like Iowans. They're so square. They're so, um, what's the word I want? There's just like square. They're, they're like, they're like, there's no, there's no, there's no men sitting around on corners and no loitering. They're, they're kind of like, they're, they're like Midwest farmers that grow cotton. They're, they're, they're kind of like they're middle-class farmers. Um, and, um, and so for them, they're not, they're not exotic. They, they're just central. There's kind of the evidence of civilization. We are the, the weird ones. Mm-hmm. And we really are. We, yes. we, we really, really are weird. Uh, it's, while you're talking about Central Asia, this is a really unique opportunity for me to ask, did you have any kumis uh, while you were there? Oh, yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. How, how was it? It varies. So that's mm-hmm. that's the, the thing. I, I, it seemed to vary um, more than I would have expected. And for... Um, uh, or listeners, this is fermented mare's milk. Um, so first of all, I, I was, you know, with some nomads, where they're to see how do you milk a horse? Yeah. Okay. Whoa, all right, first of all, it's a two person job, and um, what they do is they tie one of the horse's legs in a kind of weird way so that they can't run away. And then, uh, this is sort of a little heartbreaking, but they bring a foal up to the mare to get her to lactate. Mm. So the uh, the one person's holding the foal next to her, and the other one is milking her with one leg tied up next to her foal. And then when they're done, they'll, then they'll let the foal drink. Well, that's good. Yes. So... Um, so then they have this milk, which they then ferment. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of a, in the, the closest analogy, it's beer milk or mm-hmm. milk beer. And that's sort of what it tastes like. It's like, imagine if you took beer and milk and mixed them together. You have a very close. But the quality kind of varied. Sometimes it was very yeasty. Other times it was smooth. So... um you know, I would say, did I like it? It depends. It depended on, you know, I don't know whether they're different um, types or different strains or what. I, I, my, I didn't, didn't find out enough about that. But So I would say it varied. Yeah, interesting. I, I've never spoken with anyone that's actually had it before. And I've <laughs> I read about it one day. I wondered what exactly that sensory experience was all right. about. Well, I, I think, as I said, go home. Get a little cup of beer and get a little <laughs> cup of milk, pour them together, and <laughs> you'll have. <it. laughs> uh, so you know, one of the most beautiful, other than just the images, you know, I've just God, there's so every one, you know, you just you just being a part of these, and and I love in the notes you included in there, just remembering that you're behind the camera in every moment, and that right, right, these what seemingly you know so insular. Uh, unique and and specific uh ceremonies mm-hmm. and traditional moments uh, that you were a part of it's just it really just fries my brain it, it's so beautiful and it's, it's really it's getting to what existence is about you know i think what you were capturing you're touching on that universal human essence of just being in that way yeah and part of it is also the the the, the magic the the magic work of photography. So, um, you know, I've come, I'm kind of from the ancient old school, the Henry Cartier Bresson school, the decisive moment where I am expending tremendous amounts of energy and selection and editing and everything else to reduce a very complicated 
seen to one split second mm-hmm. that is in, angled in a way that it's capturing everything. So for me, the the hunt, I was hunting for these images. I'm hunting for an image that is capturing that particular place in full so that you could never be anywhere else. It could have not happened anywhere else. You couldn't fake it in a certain sense because you have all these details of the for me, the ideal picture is, you know, the person doing something that they would not be doing anywhere else, and they're wearing something that they would only would wear there, and the in their hands are these objects that could only have been made there, and then the background, there is an environment and architecture that could have only been there, and then the lighting is in the skies, whatever. So so it's it's sort of all captured in one composition that says, you know, Northern Afghanistan or, you know, the Valley of Kashmir. And it's at that moment. And, and there's, it's, it's, it's encompassing and transmitting that whole thing. And so that's part of what you're also seeing in these images is this very, very high, selection process that can kind of like distill down mm-hmm. take, take a lot of stuff and you kind of distill it into this little essence and yeah it's very powerful but believe me most of the time it was not like this mm-hmm. <laughs> okay i want to emphasize that and i should have a caveat to say that these are i wouldn't call them lies but they are not representative of most of the time or most of the places it is like um distilling um you know uh, country stuff and down into a few moments it is not it's not representative it is true and honest and it captures real real things and essential things but you shouldn't expect or believe that that is what happens most of the time because it's not could an analog to that be to the Western mind? Like if someone were here in New York city during new years and they got this picture of, you know, whatever the empire state building and the ball dropping, mm-hmm. you know, this crowd and two people kissing, you know, and just snapping that moment and then taking it back and saying, Hey, you know, this is a specific, it, it embodies New York, but there's a specific moment that it occurs and it's normally not like that. Is that sort of close to what you're talking about? It's, it's close. I'm trying to think of, it's sort of like, um, uh, we all have moments in our lives when things kind of line up. Mm-hmm. You have, um, I don't know, you, you're out for a meal and it's like, it's a perfect meal. The, 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 the food was great. It was great friends. It was a great conversation. The lighting was great. Everything great. The music was great. There was just this moment when everything lined up. And that is real. And in some senses, that's what we live for. That's what we aim for. That's what we're going to remember. But that's not like, that's not 24-7 in our lives. Got it. It's sort of like, it's like a peak, you know, they call them peak experiences. Yeah. So so, so that's what, uh, yeah, it's like a New Year's, but it's sometimes even more, it's not as... um monumental they're often small moments that are these peak moments and that's sort of what i wanted to emphasize that the peak moments are that i'm capturing are these little oftentimes not again a big celebration there might be somebody sawing wood but it's a peak moment in the sense that um the entire culture is lined up the whole handmade uh, authenticity of what they're doing as it's, it's sort of they they, they line up and align themselves into this peak moment that I am privileged to capture. Hmm. Well, that's such a wonderful description. Yeah. So going to all these places, meeting, I guess, thousands of people, uh, over the years, um, taking the inverse look at, the kind of exotic idea because obviously you know as we touched on earlier they're exotic only because you know everything to them that's all ordinary you know what's exotic is it happening in our mind it's the you know the the change of the perception of the self and what is and and seeing that it, it translated into a different way however in the other side of the coin 
I'm really curious what you discovered as universal human qualities mm. through all these different countries. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, family, the whole, you know, the bond of parent to child, you know, just, just sacrificing for children, um, the attraction of, uh, of friends eating together a meal, um, you know, um, seeking peace, you know, avoiding conflict, um, uh, marking time with celebrations and um, festivals, uh, the role of music, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, um, the medicine of music, all those, I think, um, and, 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 and I think the goodness of, of people is, is their dominant mode. I, 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 I truly, truly believe that the, most people are good and want to be good most of the time, even though it's inevitable that there are criminals and people lying, whatever, that's true, but that's not the dominant mode. The dominant mode is people being good and looking for the chance to repeat that, you know, to continue being good um, and trying to avoid situations where they feel forced to not be good. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think that that, that strange fear comes from that idea that the world is full of dangerous people looking to, you know, cause bodily harm or take advantage of you. Is, is that a Western idea only? No, or it, no, 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 no. Okay. Oh my gosh. No, it's not. The funny thing about all these good people around the world without exception in any country is that they're sweet. They're, they're, they're kind. But they'll tell you that, you know, over there down the, not down the street, but, you know, in the other part, the people are not good. <laughs> They're dangerous. Watch out for them. <laughs> you know, wow. uh, you can't trust them or whatever. Be careful. I guess that's yeah. the thing. Be careful of them. And then, of course, you get there and it's the same thing. They're sweet. They're wonderful. They're good. And they're telling, you know. Um, be, if you head down that way, where you just be care, be care, be careful, of those guys. So, um, uh, I yeah, it's it's. Um, I think this is part of human nature is to. Uh, we are made afraid very easily, and fear makes us stupid most of the time. But um, being afraid of things is. It's just, it's just common. It's just, and 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 the thing I have I've observed is that people will kind of let this the person who's afraid the most will often drive what happens. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. It's like the 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 most afraid person in the room is is it sets the agenda. Right. It's it's like. I don't know why we allow that, but that's often the case. Well, it seems like it's like evolutionary psychology. You know, if we have a bunch of animals standing around, you know, humans, and one of them is freaking out, we are wired to go, well, they certainly wouldn't be freaking out for an irrational reason. <laughs> right, there right, must right, be right. a threat. So I'm going to freak yeah. out. And then two, three copies, four copies, five, yeah. et cetera. And yeah. that's, you know, a look at the internet. That's what's happening. <laughs> that's where all the anxiety is coming from the internet. You yeah, know? Well, unfortunately, that's a lot of politics and it's not just us. I mean, around the world, that's what a lot of yeah. politics is. It's being driven by the person who's most afraid and, um, or the people who are most afraid. And so, um, uh, I, I think we have a forever challenge of, um, overcoming that fear, um, with, you know, rationality is one thing. It's not always effective, but um, uh, demonstrating, uh, I, 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 for me, a sense of history and knowing history is one of the anecdotes mm. to that fear. Um, others would say, well, history shows that we should be afraid. But again, it's kind of hard, but you have to, you have to have a fair reading. If you read history, you'll see that that progress is real, that we are improving, that we have gotten better, that we, again, 
that's that's a whole other thing. But for me, it's acknowledging the fact that progress is real. There's a reality of progress is part of overcoming our fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people, history is only written about the juicy bits. You know, there's not, mm-hmm. there's not thousands of catalogs of, of volumes of books about all of the nothing. All, you know, Joyce is the only one that wrote a book about nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's like, right. so if you, when you look back, yeah, you see the wars and conflicts, but uh, no one is, you know, writing historical recounts of just beautiful, peaceful moments, right? Yeah, it's, uh, progress is very boring in, in most respects. Um, and that's why there's not a lot of movies made because there's you make movies about dystopians about mm-hmm. the ends of the world and there's very few movies made about how things are just slightly better yeah. <laughs> we know my, my. <laughs> and that's what it is it's slightly this is what i call protopia so this is my term mm. protopia mm. which is uh, it's not utopia there's no end of the road there's no harmony and things are all working out there's dystopia which we want to avoid. And then there's protopia, which is things are slightly better every year, but only by 1%, which is almost invisible. Um, but that kind of creeping, you know, slowly accumulating 1% compounded um, is a very powerful thing and can only be seen in retrospect. So you have to kind of turn around and say, oh, I see, we've. One percent compounded gives us civilization. We are better. Um, that's protopia. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. It's like the the frying pan is actually cooling off instead of he- heating up if you look at it properly. We, yeah. Well, we have other things that we're heating up. So sure, good point. Yeah, <laughs> we're you know. Um, innovation is hot. Uh, it's hot meaning sense that it burns people. People get burned. By, by doing new things. And um, I, I'm, you know, I think collectively as a society, we should, we accept that price um, and should accept the fact that there is um, high failure. That is <clears throat> evolution. That's innovation. That's how we progress is that we, you know, it's like when we have a new medicine. There are a number of people that um, may be harmed or n- may not be treated because they get the placebo, that's the price that we have to pay for getting new medicines. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, you know, we try to minimize those, but, but we have to have failure. We have to have um, things that don't work. We have to have inefficiencies. The inefficiencies are what drive progress. And by the way, it's also the things that we love. Um, we love being inefficient. We love yeah. art. Art is inefficient. We love small talk. I mean, all these things. What we're doing right now is not very efficient, but it's great. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the growing pains of a species, I think, is right. what, what they are. So as we're wrapping up here, I want to know, how does it feel to be done? You've been working on a project for 40 yeah. years. Yeah. What is that like? It's a relief. Um, I've been... Um, I've been, uh, I was a still photographer. Um, it was just way too expensive to try to do filming video and all that kind of stuff, particularly when I started. Um, now of course you can do it on your phone. If I was setting out today, I would, I would just take an iPhone and I would do everything on an iPhone and I would probably video it on an iPhone. Hmm. Um, but I don't even mention that because I am, I'm doing some video for the first time, which is a real pleasure. So to complete the book, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some, I still have a few things to do is I guess what I'm saying. So the book is 99.5% done or the project is 99% done. Um, I'm making some videos, which is fun with a little bit of footage that I had. Um, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it feels good. And, and the, 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 the good part is sharing it. I've had trouble sharing. I can put up one image in Instagram and maybe even one image a day, which is what I've been doing for the past year. But it's not the same as the book. You saw a PDF with some sample pages. It's not the same. That needs to be a giant page. Two, um, you know, it's, it's a spread the size of a of a beach towel and um, you, there need to be a thousand of those pages that you're going through so you can take a trip. So it's an experience. 
And I am just so happy to finally be able to share that experience with others, that, that this experience of being in a time machine, of being displaced, of kind of like being on a different planet mm-hmm. in a time machine. Um, it's almost like Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away long ago. <laughs> you know, it's so, um, and so that, it gives me great pleasure to be able to share that. And even though I haven't sent the books out and people who are in the Kickstarter are funding it at a discount, they haven't seen the books either. I am delighted that I have a thousand true fans. Um, and I found those thousand true fans and I can share that with them soon. Um, so um, that's sort of why I've been doing it. I've had in my head a, this book and here's the book, and I'll be able to share. And if someone comes back to me like you and say, oh, my gosh, my head was blown. I spent a, two days going through it page by page. Oh, man, that's all that I'm living for right now. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That's incredible. So the best best place for people to go get a copy for themselves or for someone else would be over at Kickstarter? Yes. So right, right. now there is a Kickstarter campaign running. Um, it um, will run for another month. Um, the, it's been going very well, which means that all the really good discounted early bird discounts have already been claimed, but there is still, um, a, what I call a Kickstarter exclusive. There's still uh, a couple thousand, um, rewards, which are $50 off of the retail price. Um, so those are available and there's all an add-on for those who want to sign book. I don't have signed books, but I will sign a sheets from an unbound version prototype of the book on both sides, which may or may not be frameable. I mean, they're frameable, but you may want to, may want to frame it or not, depending on what you get. And they're going to be given out randomly. So um, they're a random two-sided page from an unbound um book and they're big they're again they're 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 certainly frameable so that's those are available as i'm saying and they um they're still available on kickstarter there's a couple of little videos if you want to see some action um and i would be very grateful if i was able to share my journeys of 40 years with you through the book well, this is, it's absolutely incredible. I and mean, it's really, it seems like you've created a true historical document that is going to fit into, to me, you know, human history in some way, uh, I think over time. So uh, just congratulations. It's unbelievable. You are awesome and unbelievable as always. And thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. That's always my delight. Thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. <laughs> 